Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We want to welcome you to church this morning. Thank you for taking time to worship and make church a priority. I believe you're going to be blessed this morning. Quickly, we just want to welcome everyone tuning in via Facebook and live stream. Uh, my wife and my two kids are home right now for the second week on a Sunday. And uh, it's weird. She said, I don't know what to do with myself because ever since I've known you, Garrett, I've been in church every single Sunday. So this is a little different for her being home for a couple weeks, but we're healing up. We're getting through some colds. So thank you everyone for just praying for us, being patient with us. Uh, but I'm excited for what God wants to say to us this morning, what he wants to speak to us. Uh, we're closing down the series on Jonah. So Jonah is four chapters and we've really been taking chapter by chapter. And God's just been speaking through us. The first week we looked at um, how in Jonah chapter 1 and, and the beginning of the new year, we asked this question of what am I running from that I should be running to? The second week we see is Jonah, is God sends a fish and the fish represents God's discipline and his discipleship. We see through the fish how in the, in the prayers that Jonah prayed, we saw that God was teaching him humility. God was teaching him Brokenness. God was empowering him through repentance so that he could be spat out, as we talked about last week from the belly of the fish, that he saw that God was a God of second chances. Last week, we talked about how God is so good and how he wants to do something in us so he can do something through us. So this morning, as we look, we're going to see really Jonah's dirty laundry right out in front of us, that we really see the heart that God has been trying to get to that was in Jonah. It, it, it gets on blast in Jonah chapter four. And we're gonna see the title of the message today that Jonah was heartless. And if we can learn from Jonah that we never allow our, ourselves to get to a place of being heartless. It's dangerous. We miss what God's doing. We miss what God's doing in people. We begin to make poor decisions when we get bitter, when we have unforgiveness toward a certain person, toward a certain people. And we see through the lessons we are going to see in Jonah 4 that Jonah was heartless. And so I want to pick up where we left off. Tim, if you would put up Jonah 3 verse 10. We're going to see this morning that this is really where Jonah 4 picks up. That we saw the greatest revival. Uh, Jonah 4 is going to reveal to us that 120,000 people resided in Nineveh. So this was a revival of every single person from the king to the pauper. Uh, in the city of Nineveh, repented, turned to God, repented of their evil ways. So God changed his heart. He changed his mind through the repentance of Nineveh. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So we left there last week and we're gonna pick up in Jonah 4, verse one. Tim, if you go ahead and put that up for us. And I wanna take these first four scriptures and really what we're going to see is Jonah's anger, but God's compassion. So it says that Jonah, to Jonah, this great revival, it seemed very wrong and he became angry. Now picture this. Imagine Jonah. Jonah could be references, let's say, the Billy Graham of the Old Testament. Saw the great revival. Thousands and thousands of people repented. Now imagine Billy Graham giving an altar call and all of these people flooding the altar call. Billy Graham over in the corner with his arms crossed looking up to God and fuming and mad and angry because of what God is doing in the lives of people. 
This is what Jonah is doing, is he is mad at God for doing and rescuing and saving and causing a revival to break loose in the city of Nineveh. And so we see, again, God's compassion, but we're seeing Jonah's heart come to the surface, that he is angry at God for doing this great work. So look what it says. It says, he prayed to the Lord. And look, we're going to see really a dramatic meltdown. We're really going to see, it feels like you're talking to a toddler because Jonah is just going to get emotional. He's going to get angry. He's just fuming because he's so mad of what God is doing. So he says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So he's saying, this is why I ran in the first place, because I knew what you were going to do. So Jonah knew all along what God was going to do, but he didn't want to be a part of it. So it says, I knew you were going to be gracious and compassionate. What a crazy thing to get mad at God about, honestly. Come on, Jonah. I knew you were going to be gracious and compassionate. God, I knew you were going to be slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who, re- 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 who relents from sending calamity. Now look what he says. Here's where we see just an emotional Jonah. He says, now, Lord, take away my life. Look how it becomes all about him. Look how selfish he gets, how pitiful. You just, Jonah just needs to give himself a big hug right here. He says, take my life away. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And we're going to go on in a minute and see, but I want to just preach for a minute out of some, some nuggets we see in here. If you're taking notes, write this down. What we see in Jonah is Jonah was outwardly obedient in preaching the message God had sent him. The message was, in 40 days, destruction's coming. That's all he said. He ran throughout the city. He shared this message. But Jonah was outwardly obedient, but he was harboring inward rebellion. Now, this is where it gets dangerous, but this is where I believe God wants to cut to the root of some things of what are we harboring? On the outside, we're worshiping God. On the outside, we're sitting here in church. But what are we harboring on the inside that God wants to really get to? And see, like Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2, we saw that God was addressing his idols. We saw that God was getting down to business on what was going on in Jonah's heart. But like we know, if sin is not, once we're set free, if we don't continue to walk in that freedom and we revisit some things or we open some doors that we know are gonna take us down a bad path, those things and those feelings, those thoughts, those lifestyles, those, those choices can resurface. So something along the way triggered Jonah to forget really quickly about how gracious God had been to him where he was what, thrown over into the, into the, the rushing, uh, raging ocean, God sent a fish to rescue him and deliver him. And look how quickly Jonah has already forgotten God's grace on his life. We're going to see Jonah really has a religious spirit here in a minute. What we see also about Jonah is he has good theology, but a bad heart. We see here that he knows how good God is. He just doesn't like it. Anybody ever been there before? Maybe you've walked with God for some time. You know who God is, but there's times you don't like what God wants to do. We also looked at in verse one that there's times that God is gonna tell us things to do that we don't like and that we need to get our heads around that, that when God speaks, it's usually pushing you out of your comfort zone and asking you to do something that you don't like. I find this amazing because Jonah is very versed in scripture 
Jonah, who is a prophet and would have been studied, one of 50 prophets, commentary will tell us in that time and in that region. So whenever he speaks or whenever he references, he references from scripture and things he knows. We saw that in Jonah chapter two, as we gave a picture of how he mirrored prayers that he saw from David. We also established that when you go through a tough season, what we see through Jonah is you have to have a word in your heart to lean on. And that's what Jonah did. He, had a, he went to that place of, okay, God, I'm in this storm, I'm in this season. And he began quoting scripture. He went to a place, I know David went through something similar. I'm gonna begin to confess the same things he did. But look, we see this similar where he's quoting uh, in Exodus 34, six through seven, we see that Moses, uh, that this would be in the season of when Moses went up on the mountain, the 10 commandments were given, they were written on tablets. And what's happening while Moses is up on the mountain in the presence of God, the 10 commandments are given to us. What are God's people doing at the bottom of the mountain? They're making idols, they're worshiping false gods. And so what we see is that in, that, in this breath, in, the, in this season, this is where this, the context of this scripture is given that Jonah quotes. And it's Exodus 34, six through seven. Tim, I don't know if you were able to get it back there, but I'm gonna read it to you put this in last minute but look what it says it says and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord of compassion and is grace and a gracious God who's slow to get anger abounding in the love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty and punished so what you see here is Jonah is quoting I know who God is but I don't like what God is doing and so again, Jonah has right theology, but he's got a bad heart. And I think what we see here is that is the breeding ground of having a religious spirit. And what, we're gonna, what a religious spirit ultimately says is, I expect grace for myself, but law for everybody else. I expect to be treated with grace, but they need to get what they deserve. They broke a rule, so they deserve what's coming to them. So we see Jonah has this religious spirit. And we see that when you're pushed, and this is an indication of what, all, what's always in your heart. When you get angry at something, it really shows what's in you. So again, Jonah is triggered. He is pushed. So we're seeing really what's inside of him coming out because of that anger. And we see that his heart is not in alignment with God's heart. We see two things in Jonah's heart through this passage of scripture. We see number one, he is entitled. And number two, that he has this religious spirit and that he struggles, he's entitled and he ultimately he struggles with God's grace for others. I wanna give you this point and this is just really hit my heart. And number one is this, if you're taking notes, what we see through this and that Jonah didn't get the picture of is that God's grace is for every race. Can we say amen to that? That God's grace is for everyone. And we see this through the book of Jonah, God's grace is for every, every race we see what racism can do and how it can divide people, how it can divide churches, how it can divide countries, that the effects of racism are ugly, disgusting, and awful. And what I want to see through this and just hit very quickly is I wanna look at three ways through the life of Jonah, what we see here is three ways that racism can creep into our lives without us even 
realizing it. Three ways prejudice can creep into our lives without us realizing it. Three points, and you can write these down, and I challenge you to just study this out and look into it. But number one is this, is your hurt can become hate. When you get hurt, if it doesn't heal, if you don't get in the presence of God, if you don't allow God to mend you, to open that wound, to get in there, is that if that hurt is not healed, it can become hate. Do we agree with that this morning? If hurt can easily and quickly become hate over a process of time, if it's not addressed with. What we see here and what we're going to see is that the Ninevites are mentioned three other times before Jonah. The Ninevites, again, are a group of about 120,000 people. Now, that would be a very large city. Jonah, the book of Jonah also reveals that Nineveh would be a, a city that had walls around it. So it was very fortified. It had military advantage, advantages. And we would see in different parts of the Old Testament that Nineveh is mentioned of how they went to war against, against God's people. So when we see why Jonah wanted to run in the first place, there would be this prejudice already there, this hate already there, because of what the people of Nineveh had done to his group, to his people. So when Jonah is processing through all this, and the reason he gets angry, and again, we see him in his humanity, is because he has hurt in his heart. There has been pain of what Nineveh has done to the Israelites, to God's people in the past. So Jonah is processing through all of this. And what we see that Jonah, most likely what commentators, theologians will tell us is that there was great pain and hurt in his heart against the Ninevites. And that's why we see this reaction. So number one, your hurt can become hate. Number two, we can't allow our preferences to become our prejudice. Can't allow our preferences to become our prejudice. What, what does this mean? It's not necessarily an issue of sin, but of style and culture. We see in scripture that the purpose is, and this is what we even talked about in our men's Bible study. Steve did an excellent job bringing this devotional yesterday, is that our goal is to be made into the image and the likeness of Christ, that we're to be imitators of Jesus. And all of us together, who is the center of our unity? It's not Pastor Garrett. It's not the rule, or it's not even the word of God. The word of God points to the center of what our, fa our, our unity is supposed to be. But the center of our unity this morning is Jesus. That's who we're here to worship. That's who we're here to come before. And so what we see is that it's easy to have preferences, but how many of you know God does not always work according to our preferences? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be nice? But we know that God doesn't always work in according to what we want. He does not work according to our preferences. So what we see here as we gather around Jesus and Revelation speaks of a time when every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every people group will gather around and worship Jesus. And that's what the church should be a picture of. And so what we see through this is our preferences don't become our prejudice, is we can maintain our cultural distinctions, but we don't allow prejudice to come in where we judge a certain style where we judge a certain way someone does things, but we keep our heart clean of, of prejudice. Number three is this, and this was made popular by the great revivalist of the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards. He said this, he says, if you idolize, watch out because you will begin to demonize. He talks of this and, and has great sermons on this, 
But what he's saying here in a nutshell is if you idolize a certain group, if you idolize your group, if you idolize your race, if you idolize the rich, if you idolize the poor, if you idolize a certain class or a group of people, what will begin to happen is then you will then find another group to begin to demonize. And I think history speaks of this and will, will, world history will, will speak of this, that if one group is idolized, then another is demonized. And so we can see these things coming up and coming through Jonah's heart that God is trying to get to the surface. Again, Jonah is outwardly obedient, but he's harboring inward rebellion. And this is what he's trying to get to the surface of Jonah's heart and of Jonah's life. Second part, what we see, and, and what I want to caption this is we're going to see in Jonah 4, 5, is that God is patient, he's loving, and he's hilarious. Anybody ever see in scripture where you just want to laugh because God is funny on how he does things and how he gets to people? That really God at times you can see has a dry sense of humor. If, if you don't really read in between the lines, and if you really don't catch it, you can really miss it. But one thing I've found when you begin to see the humor of God, a religious spirit never catches that because ultimately they're not fun or funny. So they never see the humor that God is coming through the word of God. But what we're going to see here, and Tim, if you put up verse five, so we're going to see, again, Jonah gets in this nuclear meltdown. And it's almost hilarious that this conversation with God's prophet, this man of God, this Billy Graham, who just saw the greatest revival of a Gentile nation ever experienced. And so look what it says. And really, I brought this chair up here because just to, to get you a picture is... Jonah, after he preached, now again, the, the message was 40 days and God will destroy. And the whole city repented, Jonah 3. If you weren't here, you can go and catch up. But what we see is that Jonah ran through, did the bare minimum, had no heart in what he was doing, just was gonna be obedient God. I'm outward, outwardly obedient, but there's an inward rebellion going on deep inside of me. I'm just gonna do what God told me to do and just be done with it. So Jonah ran through the city, and in those 40 days, where this picks up, this is still in that 40-day period. Theologians, church fathers will come into an agreement and say, that message probably took a week. And so after those seven days, here's where we pick up in that 40 days. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Other translations say he went up on the mountain that overlooked Nineveh. So Jonah goes up on the mountain, overlooks Nineveh, Nineveh feels great because he did his job. He preached his message. And then he just sits back, reclines, and he's just ready to see a fireworks show. He knows that there is no way Nineveh is ever going to repent. And he's just sitting there waiting for tar from heaven to fall down and destroy, to destroy these people he cannot stand. So he gets his chair, he sits there, and he's just waiting for God to do what he's always wanted to do. Again, Jonah is entitled. So we see this all throughout. So he's sitting there and look what it says. He made himself a shelter. So he's getting real comfortable. He's gonna camp out and he's just ready for God to just give him everything he's ever wanted to just get that release. So it says he sat, he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head 
to ease his discomfort. So here's where we see God's going to start toying with Jonah here. It's awesome. And so God causes this plant to grow. And again, Jonah is just, okay, God, look, he just provided this shelter for me. I'm going to get my way here. This is awesome. Provides the shade, eases discomfort. And look what happens. And he was very happy about the plant. So again, Jonah gets very high. We see this, but he can get very low pretty quick. Maybe he's a little bipolar. I don't know. Pray for him. Look what it says. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. Again, we're going to see this, this word provided. Other translations say appointed. That God is sovereign. God is in control of the whole situation. Jonah thinks he's getting by on something here. But we're about to see an object lesson in Jonah's life. God is using, you're going to see the plant, the worm, and the wind to teach Jonah an object lesson here on grace. So God provided a worm. But look what the worm did. <laughs> provided this plant, but the worm chewed the plant so that it withered away. And it says when the sun rose. So that gives us an indication that he enjoyed shade for about 24 hours, maybe 12 hours while the sun was out. And then Jonah gets up the next day and he's like, oh, look, cool, a worm. And the worm chews his plant down. And then we're about to see Jonah lose it again because something didn't go his way. So the sun rose and it says God provided a scorching east wind. So if you're in the Middle East at that time, I mean, think about the dry heat. Think about the, the climate, the conditions. Jonah might be a bald guy. That's, I, I found something on that. He might have his head blistering and just miserable. So on top of that, now this hot east wind comes in just to really get under Jonah's skin. And it says the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. So he was parched. He was faint. That shade didn't last too long. And look what he says again. He wanted to die. So woe is Jonah. Woe is me. I want to die. Get me out of here. And he said, look what it says. It says, it would be better for me to die than to live. And I want to pick up in verse 9 in a minute. But again, we see Jonah entitled. We see him doing the bare minimum. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Because this has to be in our spirit. And this is where we go beyond just doing the rules, just showing up. But something deeper has to happen, and it's this. You can do the will of God, but not have the heart of God. It's ultimately what we see in Jonah's life right here. You can do the things of God. You can show up, you can do it, but you can do it absent of the heart of God. That's why we sing that song this morning. It's only by being led to the cross is where we find the heart of God. Because it's at the cross, it's what John the Baptist said. He said, more of you and less of me. That's where that takes place. And Jonah is prideful, egotistical, and not allowing God to get this message or to get this concept of grace. He understood it, or he knew of it, but he ultimately did not understand it. So you can do the will of God, but not have the heart of God. And what we ultimately see here is that God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson in lordship and authority and submission. Probably three words we don't like to hear. And again, I find it comical because God is giving him this object lesson of, of the plant, of the worm, of this wind to get Jonah's attention and simply to say, I am the one in control here. 
what we're seeing here is Jonah really isn't the hero of the story. Can we agree on that? I think Jonah 4 really reveals that he's not the hero of the story. God is. That God ultimately is the one using Jonah. He's the one providing grace for Jonah. It's amazing too as you study this story is what you will find is that this would be related into the prodigal son. We see it in Luke chapter 15, I believe, where the story of the prodigal son. Now, the story of the prodigal son was, was given after the fact, but how Jesus opens the prodigal sons is he says, I want to tell you a story of two brothers. And what is just phenomenal about the prodigal son and the story of it, you know it, that one of the brothers, he ran, he took his father's inheritance, he did everything he wanted to do. He pursued every pleasure he wanted. He spent every dollar he had thinking he was going to find what he wanted. Saw early on that that wasn't going to give him what he needed. That wasn't going to fulfill his longing, his desires. The Bible says he wakes up in a pig pen and he gets this thought that the pig's food is looking pretty good. That's how desperate he was. That's how lost he was. And that's how destitute he was. So he gets this comes to his senses, the Bible says, and it says, if I at least just go back to my father's house, the servants are treated much better than what I'm getting right now. So it says that he gets up, he comes to his senses, senses and he begins the walk back to his father's estate, back to where his father is. Now on that walk, the Bible will tell us, commentary will tell us that he's full of shame, He's probably working on how he's going to apologize, how he's going to repent. And the Bible says, and this is the beautiful picture of grace, as he's walking, as he's making that walk to his father, the father is sitting on the porch and sees his son in the distance. The father gets up with excitement and great joy and runs after the son. What does he do? He embraces him. He hugs him. Before he can even get a word out of his mouth, the son can even get a word out of his mouth, the father, uh, it says, puts uh, uh, clothes around him, puts a ring on his finger. He says, we're going we're gonna to go cut one of the finest calves on the estate and we're going to celebrate my son has returned. And what we see through this is many times slow is our repentance, but swift is the feet of grace. Again, Jonah is the story of where sin is us running from God, but grace is God running after us. But here's, here's the picture of the prodigal son that I think we miss. We love that part of it, but as all this is going on, what's the other brother doing? The other brother had always been there, had always served his father faithfully, and he starts to get jealous of all this attention for a brother that completely wasted the inheritance hurt in their reputation, hurt their name. And all of this is now being bestowed upon him, all of this love and grace. And it says that the other brother is over talking with someone else, getting jealous, saying, how in the world does he deserve that? What in the world is dad thinking? And so we see this powerful lesson. And where it is compared into Jonah is God loves Nineveh. God the father loves the prodigal son. So we see this, but Jonah is like the older, older brother. And what's amazing about it is, is God is always in conversation with Jonah, but he's always going to Nineveh. God is, the father is still in conversation with that older, jealous brother, but he's going to the prodigal son. So we see this comparison, this story of grace, 
And what I want you to see through this and, and you just to examine as you study God's word is the entire Bible is always pointing to Jesus. It's always pointing to him. And so we see again this picture and what we're going to see in verse 9 and 10 and caption this in your notes or in your Bible is we're all a work in progress. Can we say amen to that? We are all a work in progress. We're not at this high spiritual destination, but we're always a work in progress. That's why we're called to always give each other grace because everyone is going through something that we know nothing about internally. Everyone is always going through something. And as a church and as a school, I always want us to be known for how we love each other. That's what the Bible even says. They will know you are my disciples by how you give grace to one another, how you love each other, how you love your enemies. So we see that he's a work in progress. Look at verse nine. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Again, it's this plant. God is using something so small and insignificant. And we see him getting more angry and caring so much more about this little plant than about 120,000 people who just repented and gave their life to God. So he's saying, do you really care this much about this plant? He said, again, I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. I sprang it up overnight and died, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell? And this is really just gives us a picture of really who Nineveh was. They can't tell the right hand from their left. And then it, this is how it ends, and also the animals. And then we love a story that says, and they all lived happily ever after. We don't really get that. And this climatic, there's really just an abrupt ending. And that's how the book of Jonah ends. But what we see is that God still is not giving up on Jonah. He keeps talking to him in his anger. He keeps talking to him in his racism and his prejudice. He keeps working on him. We see this in Jonah too. You can be successful, but miserable if you don't have a pure heart. There's nothing worse than being successful in all the right things and the things of God, but there's this turmoil and you're miserable in the process of it. And what we see revealed in Jonah, it's because you probably don't have pure motives, a pure heart in it. So that's where Proverbs again says, guard your heart. You have to guard your heart and keep it pure. We see in Jonah too, and I want to close with this and I want to invite our team up, is that Jonah, and again, a, a, a message of perspective here, is he freaked out over little things and he lost sight of the big things. I pray in 2020 as we're asking God for clarity that we not freak out over little things in our life and lose perspective on what really matters. Because the, the enemy's goal is is he knows if he can get you distracted, he can ultimately destroy you. I've seen that in my life is he doesn't have to send all this sin and all this temptation into my life. But if he can just keep me distracted, then I get unfocused. I get ineffective. I'm putting all my time and energy on something that really isn't the will of God. So again, don't allow the enemy to get you to freak out over little things like Jonah freaking out over this tiny plant and losing sight of what God just did in Nineveh.
I pray this morning that we see as we shared in week two that Jesus is the true and better Jonah. And what we're going to see in Matthew 12, 37 through 41, if you would put this up, is if you ever question if the story of Jonah is real, there's a lot of debate. Did Jonah really get swallowed by a great fish and was in that fish for three days and three nights? There's a lot of debate on this. But what we see is Matthew 12, 37 gives validity to the story of Jonah because Jesus himself actually references Jonah and what happened in Jonah's life in the New Testament. Look what it says in Matthew 37. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see you perform. And this is a common thing of what the Pharisees would always do with Jesus is they would never take his heart. They would never really listen to what he had to say. They just wanted Jesus to be a circus act for him. Perform, do something for us. Show us a miracle. Show us a sign. But look what Jesus answered. In verse 39, he said, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But none will be given, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So he, he brings Jonah into the picture here. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus would always refer to himself as the Son of Man. So he's talking to the Pharisees. You can't see what's right in front of you. Verse 41 says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Hear this right here. But now something greater than Jonah is here. So they asked for a sign. Jesus was trying to give them a sign. Pharisees, you know the story of Jonah well, but you can't see that something greater is standing right in front of you. You know, I think... And I just imagine that we know Jonah is in heaven. He's up with Jesus. He's worshiping. He's praying. And you got to think whenever Jonah is preached here on earth, I'm sure he just goes over in a corner and says, man, I really didn't get it. I really screwed up. But what we see is that Jonah was always in this pinch and in this pool because of his prejudice, because of his rebellious heart. He couldn't really open up and receive the fullness of the grace of God. And if we want to be transformed in 2020, if we want to see us be all God's called us to be as a church, as a ministry, I'm telling you the only way that happens is that we open up our lives to the fullness and to the grace of God. That's where change takes place. We even see that this is a man of God, a prophet, who struggles with this, who deals with this, who deals with this on a deep and personal level. How much more do we need to be open to the grace of God in every part of our life? I want to remind you that the story of Jonah is to always point to Jesus. Hear this again, that Jonah only cared for his nation, but thank God Jesus cares for every nation. Grace is for every race. Jonah ran from Nineveh, but Jesus ran from heaven to earth just for you. Jonah went to Nineveh unwillingly, but Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah had a heart of anger. Jesus had a heart of love. Jonah refused to dwell with the Ninevites. 
Jesus chose to dwell with sinners. Jonah waited for his enemies to be punished. Jesus was punished for his enemies. Jonah spent 40 days hoping for the destruction of Nineveh. Jesus spent 40 days proving he is the resurrection. Jonah sat on his cute little throne, looked over the city. Jesus is sitting on another throne, highly exalted in heaven at the right hand of his father. I want you to know this morning that Jesus invites you to salvation, not damnation. He invites you to forgiveness and not condemnation. I want to pray for you this morning. If right where you're at, you would stand to your feet. He's the God of second chances. God kept trying to get this message to Jonah, but Jonah chose to be heartless. I believe at the end, why it ends the way it does is Jonah eventually got the picture of what God was trying to tell him. But I pray that we don't go through another day, we don't go another week, we don't go another month where we just get broken before God and say, Holy Spirit, take my life. Let it be used for you. Get rid of the unforgiveness. Get rid of the bitterness. Cleanse me. Clean me. I repent of anything in my life that would lead me down a path of being heartless. Don't let me in my pride sit in my chair and outwardly smile at that person, but inwardly wish upon their destruction. Wish upon them to fail. I'm telling you, this chair is very tempting to want to sit in, as it was for Jonah. Jonah, again, a prophet, a Christian, not just someone in the world with that kind of mindset or that kind of heart. This morning, I pray through this series that you confront in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, quit running and embrace what God is wanting to do. Learn from the lessons of God's discipline, his discipleship, that it's the vehicle where he puts his heart in you. As you read God's word, as you renew your mind, you become an imitator of Christ. If you just lift your hands right where you're at, I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. If you would just whisper that to him, say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your help. God, I thank you that this is going to be a year where I'm not going to be stuck to my past. I'm not going to be stuck to what that person did to me. I'm not going to be stuck to what that person said to me. I'm not going to be prejudiced toward that group. I'm not going to think a certain way that doesn't align with the word of God. God, I pray that you work on our heart, that you lead us to the cross this morning because that's the place where your love gets poured out. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. It's only getting in the presence of God, getting the love of God, that it covers, that it empowers, that it sets us free. So Father, as we just take a moment and worship you, as we look and as we examine our heart, let it be a moment where we allow you to lead us to the cross. In Jesus' name.